Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti. We may or may not be joined later on by Braden, who is uh, currently uh, indisposed, but uh, we're hoping we'll be able to join us today. Um, we were off last week. We took the the, the long weekend off, Victoria Day, um, but that doesn't mean that uh, there isn't lots to discuss. It, you know, just one of those. Uh, one of those busy, busy weeks. And if you're an Oilers fan, like both Elliot and I are, it was a very exciting week. We see the Edmonton Oilers go further than we have seen them go in a very long time, since 2016, 17, I think it was. They're, uh, they only got to the second round there. So here we are in the Western Conference Finals, 06. You got to go all the way back to 06 to get to the third round. So they jump over the hurdle. They've gotten through the first two. I think a lot of people expected uh, it would be a lot of fight. We're, we're going to talk about that. We've got some serious reporting to talk about, too. Request had once again um, bringing light to some very dark uh, but important stories in the hockey uh, world. Um, so let's get to it right now, uh, Elliot. Without any further ado, here's topic one. Uh, as I said, we're going to talk Oilers to start. We'll talk NHL, and then we'll get to the, the Rick Westhead piece. But let's start here. The Edmonton Oilers into the third round, Western Conference Finals. They will play Colorado. Before they can play Colorado, they had to get through Calgary. I called it in five. Turns out I was right. I think even I was being a little optimistic. But when you look back at now, what was a very exciting, very um, eventful uh, series, what are your major takeaways, Elliot? Uh, did the Oilers exceed your expectations? Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, I had Calgary winning at seven. So <laughs> what was my line? I'll either be right or I'll be happy. Well, I'm happy. Uh, this is, uh, this is, it wasn't, you know, th- the thing about this series was that it was also just so much fun to watch. Every game was entertaining. Uh, tons of scoring, big saves, big plays, lots of hitting. It was what the Al- Battle of Alberta, we've been told, at least my entire life, should be. And I don't know that we've, ne- we've ever experienced it for us, you know, who don't didn't have the joy of growing up during the 80s. Um, you know, this is what they used to talk, you know, people used to talk about in terms of the, the exciting and dynamic nature of, of this battle. And... Uh, Oh my goodness. Was it not a treat? Yeah, certainly it, it, it got off to a very, uh, well, I mean, dramatic isn't the right word. It got off to a horrible start, frankly, for both teams. I think both teams would like to just forget game one even happened. It started great for Calgary. As far as they were concerned, it was the best start they could add, but then they just completely, uh, rolled over at one point and let Edmonton come storming back. We had a six, six game in the third period before Calgary was able to finally pull away uh, and get a couple and including an empty netter. The score was incredibly uh, unimportant in the, in the full scheme of things, but from the beginning, it looked like, Oh gosh, this is either going to be an absolute chaotic, you know, uh, track meet, or one of these teams is really going to have to knuckle down and figure this out. I was happy to see that Edmonton was the first one to realize if we play our game our way, Calgary can't stay with us. Calgary had come out of a series that you, I think, uh, along with a lot of other fans, called incredibly boring, um, which is interesting because Calgary was a very uh, explosive offensive team during the regular season. But against Dallas, it got into a real sort of slug it out, one goal, two goal kind of game. And they came out of that series into this series with the Oilers and they were met with just such 
an explosion of offense from Connor and from Leon and from Evander Kane, that top line. But then throughout the series, the depth scoring came through too. Nugent Hopkins had a great series. We even got a, a, a late goal there uh, by Jesse Pugliarvi, who had really been playing well, but struggling to get on the scoreboard. Um, so Calgary looked like once they, once Edmonton realized that they could out skate and outpace Calgary, Calgary just really couldn't stay with them. Um, obviously, you know, we still had a couple close games, finishing it in overtime in game five and game four was a close one too, by all measures. I mean, Calgary again, came back and tied that one, but Edmonton always just seemed to have that next goal ready. And that, like you said about the eighties, that's what reminded me of the eighties. You look back at some of those old games and, you know, there's the old Grant fear quote where it's like, he knew he could let in four goals as long as he stopped the next one. Cause Gretzky and Curry and Tikkanen and, and Messi, we're going to get that extra goal. And right now, when the Oilers play to their potential offensively, there's very few teams that can outscore them. And that's what they proved in this series. McDavid, obviously finding that new gear. What, the one narrative I wanted to ask you about, because I've just loved watching it unfold in the media. You know, we joke a lot about sort of the Toronto centric media. There's all this talk about like, Oh, thank goodness. Connor McDavid's finally playing to his potential. And you're just like, guys, you just don't watch him all year. This is what he does. 82 games a year. This man is always this good. All of you just haven't been paying attention because he's playing after you go to bed. Most of the time he is so good. Now is the stage bigger? Yes. Does that elevate it? Sure. But Really, Connor McDavid is not like all of a sudden blossoming. He has always been this good as far as my eye. It's just nice to finally see him do it on this stage. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you mostly. I do think there is another gear that Connor has found and he found in this, this series with Calgary. Like he, that, the way that he basically took over games two and games four was it or at games two or three and four I don't know there was the one at home where he had that ridiculous move but the way that he just took over uh periods of this series not not periods of a game like of this game like periods of time throughout this series was was pretty remarkable against what was a really good Calgary team the narrative that bothered me the most and I think you know talking with my Calgary fan of uh fan friends has been this notion that uh, Connor beat them, they got beat by one guy and it was Connor McDavid. And sure, did he dominate, you know, major periods of this series? Absolutely. But I actually think this was one of the most well-rounded Oilers team wins uh, we've seen in the playoffs, it, it, to my memory. I mean, you had Nuge essentially won game four for you. Zach Hyman had a ridiculous series. I think six goals in five games or something like again. that. He had a goal a game. Uh, you know, Leon did Leon things. And thank goodness he's get, obviously getting healthy because you could tell he was in a better place. But even, you know, our our defensive uh, play and, and our defense was great. You know, uh, Bouchard had a big goal late in the game to, to, to win one for us. He had a big giggle in game four that, you know, I think holistically, the only question I might have is Mike Smith. And I know you and I can get into this later, but really it was like a complete Oilers team win. Um, and was McDavid the, 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 you know, the leader in that? Absolutely. But it was much more well-rounded and the notion that they just lost to one player, I think is a bit absurd to me. 
No, that was definitely a narrative. The, the, the flames themselves were pushing. They also didn't want to call him by his name. It was the, we're being beat by that one guy. And that was fine. That's the, the that was the party line they were toting. And, and it, it clearly didn't make any, any difference if they were trying to play mind games or whatever. At the end of the day, you know, I think Connor's very comfortable in what his role is. He knows that he drives the drives the ship, but he's got a very good first mate in Leon Dreisaitl, who on most every other team, including Calgary, would be their best player. He's arguably the second or third best player in the league on any given day you know you, you put him up against most of the superstars in this league and and his numbers and his consistency uh are right there uh and and we're seeing other guys do it look you know we had debates on this show about the 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 merit or or the risk reward benefit of bringing in Evander Kane. I think Ken Holland gets to sit back and say, clearly he made the right decision. This is a guy who has bought into what the Oilers mission here is give their leadership some credit for making sure that it wasn't going to be an issue. You know, they, they took a lot of flack for it, but they've done well. He has certainly played well, unbelievably well uh, atop that line. But we also saw even in game five there, you know, this coaching staff and Jay Woodcroft who deserves a lot of credit. You know, if you cut the season into two halves and you, only look at the second half he's winning the jack adams trophy like he is yeah. the best coach from february on and he yeah. has so far in my opinion been the most consistent coach through the playoffs meeting adversity against la and knowing what adjustments to make meeting adversity and after that ridiculous game in in game one of, of the second round and turning his team around focusing them and getting them on to just an absolute killer mentality to knock calgary out in four straight games the key thing for me is even in game five you have this huge amount of success with with connor and leon and evander kane and something's just not quite working in that second period and he flips hyman onto that top line they get another goal out of it that takes courage and 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 a lot of, we made this joke on pit stop, but it's like, it's testicular fortitude. It's just trusting your gut and knowing what you're after. And, and a lot of people be like, why are you taking Kane off that top line? He just tried something. Cause he knew that he had the horses to try to try. Well, and he also in, in the course of that made a, created a really dynamic second line with Nuge, yeah. Kane and Yamamoto. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is in and of themselves. Like you've got two dogged puck retrievers and a guy who can shoot in Evander Kane. Actually, they're all three of them are dogged puck retrievers. But, you know, I, I'm totally with you on that. I think Jay Woodcroft has done an outstanding job. I think he's known when to, when, when to cut the bench down, um, when to run four lines, you know, when to play our, his, his use of players like Archibald and Cassia. And I think, you know, at, at select points in that series, but not the majority of it, obviously. Um, well, and clearly in such a way that is working because you've got, you've got um, Archibald who is, since he's come in in the playoffs, been much like Yamamoto, one of those guys who is outperforming his size in terms of the physicality he brings, the the doggedness on the puck, as you say, and just like the tenacity he's bringing. They don't play a lot of minutes, but the minutes they're playing in there are really valuable. I think the other guy that is in that camp is, is McLeod. He may not be putting up big numbers, but he's putting up big minutes, yeah. even if it's only five or six a game. Like When you have your depth doing that, it makes it a lot harder to match up against your team because you're able to create momentum that you roll through the lineup, right? So those guys... Well, go out there and they yeah. get a good shift in the offensive zone. They, you know, they keep that defense on their heels and then out comes that top line. And all of a sudden, you know, you're setting them up for that kind of success, which has been really nice to see. And then the biggest criticism, a lot of people, I think yourself included had of this hockey team. Most of the season was the, the fragility of the defense. And I think this defensive core has really dialed in, figured out where their strengths are. And I think Jay Woodcroft has deployed them in very successful ways throughout this playoff. So far, Brett Kulak has done exactly 
exactly what he was asked to do, which is just be a steady hand back there. I think for the most part, uh, Duncan Keith has been a veteran back there. There's been one or two mistakes. He's still going to get caught occasionally. He's a slower guy back there, but he makes veteran moves along the boards that you recognize in the moment as being the right choice. And then guys like Evan Bouchard, and Tyson Berry are being given opportunities to jump in there offensively. Bouchard puts pucks on net where, you know, where there's a rebound or a second chance and he's creating scoring that way. I just think throughout this lineup, everybody is starting to meet their sort of the threshold necessary for this. And that's why it's working. And it's why I think going into the third round as a fan, I'm very confident in what this team is capable against anybody. Let's just circle back on the defense conversation because I think you missed something that's really important that Jay Woodcroft has done, which is clearly Darnell Nurse is very hurt. And it's very clear that he's not playing the game that he is and he has the capacity to do it. And they have managed to maintain structural integrity of that defensive core through Darnell Nurse's clearly nagging injury. Uh, Hopefully, you know, he's starting to get better. He can turn things around. Um, and they've obviously had a break here, but what they have done is create a system that's protected him and, and, and giving him guarded minutes, which I think is also, uh, a, you know, a testament to how they're managing the back end of the team. As well, well, and so the other name you, I didn't say, talk about defense, you have to talk about how they, yeah. well, and the name I didn't say, which I do think also deserves a, a lot of credit, because I think when you look at the, where he was in his career only two years ago to where he has come today with the Edmonton Oilers is Cody CC. Cody CC is, is unbelievable return on investment for, for Ken Holland. You know, like he was basically written off in Toronto as being, you know, a, a, a seventh man kind of guy. He had a good season last year, but to, to see what he has progressed to. And I think he is one of those guys who is carrying some of those extra minutes for nurse now, because he's a big body and he plays a very similar defense first kind of game. And yet, you know, he's putting himself on the score sheet he's getting assists he's just doing penalty killing he's doing a lot of the right things and the Edmonton Oilers right now as a team have those three four guys at the top who are going to go and 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 are capable of turning a hockey game everybody else just has to play their role and if you play your role then you can beat teams as a team right and it isn't just one guy but when it's everybody else trying to pull too hard uh in directions that they're not you know, cohesive with, I think that's what we saw under Dave Tippett a lot was you, you had certain players being deployed in roles that they just weren't comfortable sitting in. And now Jay Woodcroft seems to have found a synergy. And I think everybody's bought in, you know, we talk about that all the time, buy in, buy in. That's what it feels like is the cohesion of this team is just functionally much, much more sound. So we'll see what happens. We'll get to round two in a second. Any last thoughts before we leave round one or round two, pardon me. I mean, I would just say this is far better than I expected the Oilers to be. I was expecting them to win a series and that was great. And now they're just playing with house money and it feels like they kind of know it too. And it's amazing when you're in that place of just like, they, you know, they're an underdog in every series that they're going to play and moving forward. And that's, I think, a good place for them to be in. Yeah, it's gravy at this point, right? Win or lose, you've gotten further than what was expected. That's fantastic. Now, obviously, you know, do they want to win? Of course they want to win. Now they're starting to see they're halfway there, but you're still halfway there. Uh, and think about what it took to get to this point. So we could be in for a, a wild June here, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. All right, that's topic one. Do you or someone you know own a small business? Are you looking to grow or to reach new customers? Hey, why not let us help? Hattrick is looking for unique brands, businesses, and products to advertise on our show. You can find out how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. All right. Topic two, we're going to move from the second round to the third round. We know that at the time of recording this, we don't yet 
know who the Tampa Bay Lightning will face. It will either be the Rangers or the Hurricanes who are going to play game seven on Monday. But Tuesday, we'll launch the first game of the Western Conference Final. So let's start there, Elliot, and then we can touch really briefly on the potential matchups for the Lightning after. We have the Avalanche. We have the Oilers. Everyone expected Colorado to be here. I don't think everyone expected the Oilers to be here. I would bet you there was a lot more people riding on the flames to get here because obviously at the season they had, they, you know, they were the first place team, but here we have it. The Oilers avalanche. This feels like a late nineties, early two thousands matchup. Uh, although back then it was in the first round and the Oilers usually lost. Um, but it reminds me of my childhood. When you look at Colorado, they came out of the first round, just you know, walking away from Nashville as if it was nothing. And here they faced the blues that pushed them to game six. And it was, it was a very hotly contested and uh, frankly um, volatile <laughs> uh, series. Obviously we didn't spend any time talking about the Nazem Kadri situation or, or the Bennington injury or any of those things. And I, I, I mean, we're open to it if you'd like to, but we're moving our attention to the third round here. When you look at this matchup for the Oilers, you've got Colorado who has a lot of firepower uh, equal probably in many ways to the way the Oilers like to play. Um, but they've got some more strength on the back end and they have a lot of momentum riding on the f- fact that they've had one of the best seasons in NHL history. And you have the Edmonton Oilers who are riding high after beating their provincial rivals. A lot of emotion went into that series. Are they able to carry that emotion forward, get up for this series? We've seen the Oilers struggle in game ones. We've seen the Oilers struggle in the first periods. The question is whether or not these two teams, uh, well, how they match up. How do you see this series from you know a few days out? Um, this is going to be an outstanding series. I mean, this is a star-studded event. It's got the, the best players in the world. Uh, from two different teams and are very excited and driven to win. Uh, so it's just going to be awesome. Obviously it's McKinnon versus McDavid and that's going to be the narrative. Um, but Hey, you know, I was thinking there's also this conversation about like Landis Gog and Nuge, like they went one, two in their draft year and they've never had, we've never had it out on that front. Right. Um, you've got a battle of like, who's the better second centerman and in, in dry being there and, and, and what he, what's he going to bring. You know, I think this series in some ways, well, anyway, the, what I would say is to start is if you watch the two games that these teams played this year in the regular season, that also gives you hope for that this is going to be an outstanding series because those were close, tight games. Chicago or Colorado got both of them, but they could have gone either way. I think both were in overtime or uh, relatively, they, they, they were they were close games. Um, so there's that. I do you, think uh, I got to correct you. I'm sorry. The Oilers won the last of these three games or okay. they played three times. Colorado beat them twice, but on April 26th, the Oilers won six, three, right? There was the one at the end. Yeah. 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 When Edmonton was hot and Colorado had already clinched. That's three. right. Um, but as you said, up to that, it was tight three, two, those two, those two games in March. Yeah. And all these games, I would also like to point out all three games against Colorado under Jay Woodcroft. Interestingly. Yeah. So, so, the, so that's the, that's the first side of this. I think this series favors Edmonton in some ways because of how Edmonton's like a bigger team. I think Edmonton's like the bigger club. And we saw this a little bit in the LA series where if Edmonton can kind of get under the skin of the other team with their players like Kane and Cassian and 
dry saddles a big body puliyarvi's a big body there's actually an opportunity here i, I think this is like a good matchup Redmond. do i think they're going to win necessarily i don't think so but i i think this is like a closer matchup than i would have expected edmonton calgary to be you know does that make sense what i'm saying yeah no i totally think that 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 makes sense it's interesting um you know as you say they match up really well and they certainly do you can go down the line and find a lot of parallels here obviously this is going to be the mckinnon versus Mc mcdavid series as how it's sold but you've got rantanen and leon you've got nazim Kadri and Evander kane you've got defensively you know kale mccarr is arguably the second best player on that team probably is the second best player on that team even before any of the forwards landis cog and nuge whatever the matchup down the line you want to go to is interesting two goaltenders who were passed over at different points by other teams and kind of aren't considered to be their you know those bona fide starters but have put in really good performances darcy kemper uh, and, and and Mike Smith. The big thing for me is uh, Edmonton gets a little bit of a, an, uh, you know, a, no, it's not the right way to say this, but Edmonton gets a little lucky in the fact that uh, the Avalanche lost one of their stud defensemen in Samuel Girard in the last series. He broke his sternum, which I can't imagine what that feels like. Colorado has arguably a deeper team of talent, but the talent the Oilers have I think could go up against any team in this league and compete. And that's what this is going to come down to is just which team gets out to a quicker start in this series, puts pressure on the other team's best players to be their best players. And I think that, as you say, there's some physicality going one way. There's some speed going the other way. The, the really interesting thing, and we did see this in how these two teams played each other throughout the season. They play a very similar game. They both like an up-tempo offense forward. One team's going to get the ability to do that, and it's going to put the other team on their heels. And whoever can tilt the, the rink their way more often is going to win this series. Yeah, and I, I'm totally with you. And that's why I think the physicality that Edmonton brings really gives makes it, it, this advantageous series for them. Because if you're able to play, the both teams are playing the up-tempo game, but you're able to take control of that with uh, with physicality. And, and I think Edmonton can. Uh, I think that's where the advantage is. And, and I also think, you know, frankly, Edmonton's just played more competitive hockey in the last month than Colorado as well, too. And what we've seen from Edmonton is an ability to learn from mistakes. So they didn't get that pivotal uh, game four win against L.A., got them into trouble. That was all they talked about when they went into game five against Calgary and they figured it out. I think the last series starts were a trouble for Edmonton and have been throughout this playoffs. I, but that started to fall away towards the end of the Calgary series. You know, I, I think that that's something you're going to see. Edmonton's going to come out firing and ready to go. They're also more, a little better rested uh, coming out of series two. Uh, their guys are getting healthier and getting better. Um, whereas Colorado is going the opposite direction. And I think we've seen that we have just an outstanding dynamic coach with nothing to lose. And that is a great thing to have as well, too. I mean, it's hard to sound. It sounds like I'm such a homer on this. And maybe I think the smart pick is probably to take Colorado just based on the years that they've had. But Edmonton sort of caught lightning in the bottle here. And, and, and it's really hard to bet against them, particularly after the beating Calgary in five games and the way they did four straight. The other the, the, the one wild card or, or factor I think that goes into this is like where which team's depth finds the next gear, you know, ready for this next series. The player I would be looking out for if I'm the Edmonton Oilers and trying to make sure I've got a good matchup against is Bowen Byron, because he was the number one player 
in, in Colorado in terms of shot share and high danger chance share in the last series. He had five yeah. assists and 18 shots on goal. As a defenseman, he is their Evan Bouchard. He's the next guy behind Kale McCarr. Uh, and I think that you got to look out for what he's capable of doing. A lot of attention is going to be given to Kale McCarr, but you have to you have to be ready to shut down Bo and Byram too because what Colorado has that Edmonton doesn't is diversity of like dangerous weapons in terms of throughout their lineup. Edmonton has very dangerous weapons at the top of their lineup, right? That top line. And as we pointed out, the second line has been very good, but then it drops off and they get, they generate chances and they get opportunities, but they're, we're not going to blow teams out of the water with our third and fourth line or our second or third D pairing. It's just not how it works. Colorado has the ability to do that. They roll lines, they roll their, their, their units and you got to be careful. I think for the Oilers, what they're going to have to really focus on, and I think Jay Woodcroft is going to do this, as I said, dictate the terms, play your game, and don't get caught chasing. Because that's what killed Calgary was when they chased Edmonton. Edmonton is vulnerable to do the same thing here against, against Colorado. But I'm very excited to see how the first couple games of this series go. I think that we're going to know really quickly what the plan was. And then we're going to see how quickly that plan is or isn't abandoned by other team when, you know, bodies start smacking into each other and, and pucks start hitting the back of the net. Let's spend just a brief moment on the other series before we get your pick. Obviously, we don't know what the other series is exactly, but we can, we can sort of discuss it either way. The question is this. The Hurricanes and Rangers are going to game seven. Does it even matter at this point? Or is Tampa Bay the team to beat? They, they had their work cut out for them against Toronto, but it felt in some ways like that was really the big hurdle. The Panthers put up no effort. You know, the, the, the Florida Panthers were unable to score more than one goal a game, and they only scored three goals in the entire four-game series. You're not winning any series in the Stanley Cup playoffs with, with the inability to score more than three goals. That For a team that was as offensively dominant as the Florida Panthers were all season long, just just complete impotence in that round. They just could not get anything to go their way. And, and it looked like Vasilevsky just had his way with them. It was literally like nothing, nothing flustered him. And, and they looked like two times Stanley Cup champs. They are. Um, the question I have for you is, do the Hurricanes or the Rangers, after seven games of a very hot, very you know, emotionally charged series, will either of those teams have enough left in the tank to meet a week-long rested uh, Tampa Bay Lightning? Uh, I, yes, I think so. I think this, I, I tap the Bay is only as good as Andre Vasilevsky. I, I really feel like, I mean, I, there are players there. They know how to win. They know how to play the right way. Uh, they're incredibly well coached, incredibly motivated team to get three. Uh, that being said, I mean, Vasilevsky is really the difference maker, uh, for that team. And so, so goes him. So goes the, the Tampa Bay lightning, I think, cause like they don't have the same top end, uh, 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 ability to score goals as uh, as they used to, and as I think uh, the Hurricanes can, uh, if somehow miraculously the Rangers get through to the third line round, which would be it, I, I'm sort of flabbergasted by. I haven't taken them once throughout this entire playoffs, <laughs> and they get they continue to figure it out, and, and they're in Game Seven here against uh, Carolina. So you know, shows what I know. Um, uh, I don't think it matters. I do think Tampa Bay is better than that team. Carolina, I think, is, is a bit of a different story. They're just, they're built to win as well, too. Um, but what a story this Tampa Bay team is. Like, did anyone having them come, coming out of the first round? Like, they've played so much hockey in the last three years. Uh, aren't those guys tired? But Stamco, That's what I'm saying. They've just gotten a week off, right? Yeah. I, I, I got to push back on one thing. 
yes, Andre Vasilevsky is the best goalie alive today or best goalie currently playing today. No question about it. He's arguably probably in the top five all time, maybe arguably in the conversation for best ever. He wins another Stanley Cup. I think it's he's right up there with Patrick Waugh and Martin Brodeur in terms of just success in the NHL. And he's still pretty early in a career, which is pretty impressive. Just dominating. However, Steven Stamkos had 106 points this season. Victor Hedman had 85 as a defenseman. Nikita Kucherov in 47 games had 70 points. Alex Kalorn, 59. Braden Point, 58. You have one, two, three, four, five, six players with over 20 goals. Half of this lineup has scored at least 10. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about when you say it's a one-man team back there. That's like Calgary trying to point this all on McDavid. Vasilevsky <laughs> is very, very good. But yeah. Tampa Bay can beat you a lot of different ways, and that is what has made them successful. They are an incredibly dangerous team, and I think that when you look at the two teams that they, the potential of the two teams they're facing, one in the Carolina Hurricanes, who are a very young team, very inexperienced team who's having a great run, but is learning a lot of tough lessons in these series that they're playing, you put that team up against just the veteran, you know, experienced, steady hand of Tampa. I, I don't like that matchup for, for Carolina. And then if it's the Rangers, as you said, they're also surprised to be here. They're a young team. They have an absolute amazing goaltender, maybe wins the Vesna in for the season, the regular season. He has no match for he's, he's certainly no match for what Vasilevsky's done in the playoffs, but we could be looking at a similar Calgary Dallas situation where it's really the Tampa Bay lightning versus Shesterkin because the Rangers don't have the same kind of firepower as yeah. the Tampa Bay Lightning either. I don't know how either of these teams compete with Tampa. <clears throat> I, I, you know, you could be very right on that. I, I don't mean to say that, that you know, it's a one-man team, like they talk about Connor McDavid being a one-man team, but I think a lot of their successes depend on his success. Like, we, you know, he, he, like it's it's the playoffs. It's the goal standing still matters. Uh, apparently not if you're Edmonton, but everywhere else, your goal standing still matters. And so, uh, that's, that's why I feel like, okay, you know, maybe Vasilevsky comes back to down to earth and that team is beatable. Uh, but right now the way that they've been playing and the way that they looked against Florida, they, they certainly don't look beatable right now. Yeah. Well, again, we won't know until Monday night who Tampa Bay will play, but whoever they play, uh, it will be, you know, it will definitely be exciting. And I think, uh, Tampa Bay has a great shot at finding themselves in a third consecutive um stanley cup final that is obviously what they will be gunning for and aiming for um and we'll see what happens but uh we do know that colorado and edmonton will face off tuesday night for that one big old western conference final matchup and uh, we'll be looking forward to that that's topic two do you like fast cars do you like when they race whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you've just discovered the rush of racing, check out the Pit Stop Podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Join Jordan, Tyler, and Braden each week as they recap every race as well as break down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race in the Formula One schedule. The Pit Stop Podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. Okay. We're going to shift gears here for the last topic. Um, we'll leave the excitement and fun of the NHL for a moment and talk about a much more serious uh, conversation. Once again, Rick Westhead 
of TSN. He's their senior correspondent and their sort of investigative journalist who has in the last year really come to prominence by um, drawing attention to some very difficult and frankly ugly um, instances of sexual violence uh, surrounding the NHL and, and, and hockey at large. Uh, obviously, the, the first one being the Chicago Blackhawks and sort of the, the scandal um, surrounding sexual assault in their organization and moreover the cover-up uh, there. We talked a lot about that earlier in the year. The NHL has found itself in another difficult situation uh, it came to light again through Rick Westhead's reporting at the end of last week that a woman alleged uh, who was allegedly sexually assaulted by eight Canadian Hockey League players. It's the junior ranks uh, in Canada, major junior players, including members of Canada's gold medal winning 2017-2018 World Junior Team. She has agreed to drop a lawsuit against the players, reaching a settlement with Hockey Canada and the CHL. Uh, the woman's allegations, of course, um, are serious. They are they accuse eight players of sexually assaulting her. Um, they reached some form of uh, agreement, as I say, some settlement there. So currently there is no longer a lawsuit pending. But the NHL obviously had to address this. Uh, they did so with a sort of blanket statement stating that they had been made aware of the lawsuit two days prior to this reporting and that they were beginning the process of conducting a uh, investigation because several of the players from that team, not knowing the public, not knowing yet who the exact players we're we're discussing are, the accused players are, um, but the NHL may or may not know who they are. And they have began an investigation into the allegations to ensure that all of their league policies concerning um, sexual violence or uh, criminal activity, nothing was breached or anything like that. They're going to have to conduct that investigation themselves. Obviously, very serious matter. Um, we don't, as I say, know who those players are, but it's not hard to Google the roster of the 2017-2018 list. And the challenge in this situation is that until, I guess, certain players are identified, I mean, they're all kind of guilty by association in a lot of people's minds. And that's the tr troubling thing is it becomes, um, you know, it becomes kind of a, a very gray and very uh, uncomfortable area. Uh, I, I know that this is a newer story for you, Elliot, um, but as you read through Rick Westhead's reporting and, and sort of have begun to process this, what, where, where, where are you, uh, I guess, in, in terms of processing um, all of this? Oh, just this is so incredibly sad uh, and and unfortunate. And I feel so deeply for the victim uh, of this situation. And it looks as though it's been a harrowing uh, process as well, too. I mean, <clears throat> being forced to essentially re-victimize yourself by telling your story to get what you, you deserve, frankly. Um, I'm sort of sick of hearing these things over and over and over again in hockey culture. And, you know, presumably these, they were kids when this happened, uh, which is to, to do something so dehumanizing and awful at such a young age is, is, is also profound and needs to be recognized as well too. There is a 
culture in hockey that needs to change. And we continue to say this every time one of these stories comes up and they continue to come up. There is a culture in hockey that needs to be changed. And I recognize that this incident occurred four years ago. Uh, the world has changed a lot in the last four years on these issues. There's been numerous other allegations and things done, um, or allegations, and the NHL and hockey in general has done things to try and address some of these concerns, but we need to be doing more. And part of that is having really tough conversations and, and bringing this information to light so that people are aware. Um, but there is also a piece of this that just feels like this was another example of hockey, just like not wanting to, just wanting to kind of cover it up. It wasn't until Rick Westhead like found out about it and reported about it that it got any traction and, uh, or that any substantive conversations was had. And I do understand you're in a legal process. And so that limits some of what you can say, but it also doesn't. It doesn't, you can, you can come out and say something happened and we're addressing it. Right. And so there's also this like cover up -y kind of nature. The fact the players aren't named and we don't know who they are. We may never know who they are. Um, uh, to me is deeply troubling. I, I mean, I, I think you said the NHL is going to start an investigation, but I, like, as you said, before we started, like, why now, why is it taking this long? Right. Um, so it, it, for me, it just speaks to sort of like the misguided culture and just the systemic, systemic, systemic problems we have in hockey. Yeah, obviously. And I think you're absolutely right. It, it is, um, it's exhausting to have to continue to have, <laughs> frankly, one journalist in this country addressing these on a regular basis, which is also to me just absolutely mind-blowing i mean give rick west had a lot of credit but at the same time why is he the only one that seems to be able to uh draw these stories out is it, it's for one of two reasons one i guess maybe because of the success he's had with it people seem to be trusting him with their stories which again as a journalist give him credit for but if it's not then he's the only one really seeming to 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 be willing to go out there and find these stories and bring them to light and that's just disappointing too i, I i've also again find it fascinating he works for the one network in this country who does not have nhl rights and i'm not going to play the conspiracy theory here but i would bet you there's a lot of uh hand wringing at the other network whenever these stories come out because of their relationship to the nhl i am grateful that the nhl responded um but again i have a hard time believing in their statement which reads two days ago the national hockey league was advised of a lawsuit involving sexual allegations filed against eight unnamed members of the 2018 canadian world junior hockey team and end quote look two days ago two days ago the statement came out on May 26th, Rick Westhead's reporting came out on May 26th. You're telling me two days before that, the NHL is aware of something? This woman filed a lawsuit how many months ago? Hockey Canada's lawyers have been fighting this with this person for how many months, if not years? How long has the CHL been aware of this? We don't know that, obviously. We, I guess we could go look at court filings. The point being, you're telling me no one at either of those organizations who have incredibly close 
relationship, business relationships with the NHL made anyone at the NHL aware of this? That goes back to the cultural issue here. This goes back to the, the whole question around the Blackhawks thing for me, which is, again, just completely and utterly baffling. How is the NHL this out of the loop on these issues? Well, How- they, they, but this is this is what they do, right? Gary Bettman's a lawyer, or, you know, like they're, they're lawyers. So what they say is, well, if we don't know about it, then we don't have to address it. If we don't, so don't tell us. Right. Sure. Like, but so all it is is culture, more damning. But this is a yeah, this is but there's a culture where if we don't know about it, then it doesn't impact us or hurt us. And then we'll just deal with it when it comes out when it's not like you're not proactively. And if you're not proactively like looking for these things or wanting to hear these things, how are you making changes? But look, I'll take it back to the Hockey Canada statement. We had a, a firm with extensive experience in this area undertook a thorough independent investigation, make recommendations on areas for improvement, which we have uh, been implementing and will continue to pursue. What are the recommendations? What, how are you implementing? What's the plan? What's the outcome? How do you know if it's working? That, that, that's, this is, that, that, this statement in and of itself is, is wholly unacceptable. We need to, like, if we're going to talk about real meaningful action and change on these things, that is so vague and so silly. I understand that the victim didn't want to make the players known and and that's her right. And I'm totally fine with that. So, you know, you also have to respect her rights and things, but what, are the solid things that you are doing that's not been made clear here and the nhl is clearly not looking for ways to make this better because they're turning a blind eye to it until they absolutely have to respond to a rick Ruhead, uh, rick westhead article yeah. it's ridiculous like yeah that, and, and and to reiterate your point the, there was a statement made by the lawyer for this individual stating the plaintiff is satisfied with the outcome and relieved that this difficult matter has been concluded. She has nothing further to add and consistent with her expressed wishes and behavior throughout requests that her privacy and desire not to be identified continue to be respected. So on that side of it, I am glad that for her sake, there is some form of closure that she is satisfied with. It is frustrating that once again, we are facing a situation where these major organizations surrounding a sport are um, continuing, as you say, to, to sort of turn a blind eye and, and, and just demonstrate the absolute like lack of evolution in terms of their organizational structures surrounding these things. You know what I mean? And and that's, what's frustrating to me more than anything is just that you have um, as you say, you know, the NHL, very politically choosing to respond to something in such a way. It just, it's so cynical and that's, what's frustrating and, and kind of heartbreaking about the whole situation. Um, I guess we'll wait and, and, and see if anything comes of the NHL's investigation. I would be very surprised if uh, we hear anything about this again until long past the playoffs as the NHL doesn't even like uh, their individual teams to announce news on game days or during the sort of news cycle that they're trying to generate regardless um as i say um we are we you know we we want to continue to have these conversations because they're important to have um that we think fans of this sport fans of all sports should be having difficult conversations like this because you know you have to be able to reconcile the joy and excitement that a sport you love and the players you cheer for bring and recognize that at the same time, you know, you, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. These kind of, um, these kind of situations happen in every workplace all around the world. They shouldn't, they can't continue to happen. We have to fight to help find solutions to them. And the big part of that is having conversations about it. So that's where we're doing it. We appreciate you listening to it. 
Elliot, I appreciate you joining me. Unfortunately, Braden was unable to join us today. That's okay. I'm sure that um, he's out there just continuing to, uh, he, I heard he came out of hiding. Remember, if you remember two weeks ago, we joked about how he was going to have to go and live in a bunker there during the Battle of Alberta because he was worried about the chaos of it. I, I hear he has emerged. And I think where we currently are missing him is he's probably out there uh, stocking up on new uh, orange and blue attire um you know maybe getting some like uh remember when you were kids and you'd go get a like a buzz cut and they would they would etch some uh, oiler logo or something into the top of your head i'm pretty sure that's what Braden's having done currently to his back hair and uh, <laughs> it'll be very exciting to see all of the instagram photos uh as he goes out there and celebrates as they take on colorado Thanks for joining me, buddy. Enjoy the Western Conference final. It gets underway this week. Uh, I know it's, uh, as you say, it's all gravy at this point. This is this should be fun now. Yeah. So uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler-Coltman and Braden Dyler-Coltman. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.